Blog Talk Radio. Uh oh, guess what day it is? Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woo-hoo! Listen, guess what today is? Listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day! Woo-hoo! <laughs> it's hump day. Hump day! Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. This is Tom Donaldson. I'm the chairman of America's PAC. I'm also the project director for America's Majority Foundation. I'm the author of eight books, including the rise of national populism, democratic socialism. They're not yet, they're not, won't say they're bestsellers, but they all should be. And in my upcoming book, America at the Abyss, Will It Survive? will be out in about two weeks. So, you know, keep an eye on that here on the Bastion News Radio Network. And we got uh, – joining me here tonight is Dr. Larry. This is our semi-Christmas uh, Donaldson Files. And and we'll be also – Larry is going to have a special reading at the beginning of his show – beginning of our joint show, the Resistance Hour. So I guess in a way this is like a two-hour Resistance Hour Donaldson Files all put together. So welcome, Dr. Larry. Thank you, Tom. Good to be here again. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what we're going to do. Like I said, we'll do some Christmas stuff. Uh, but uh, there's some news stories that really kind of intrigues me. Uh, and I'm going to start off. I don't, have you been following the Elon Musk versus Elizabeth Warren uh, tip for tat? Yes, it's very entertaining. Yes, it is. Well, you know, I like, I, 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 you know, go ahead. I liked, uh, I liked uh, Larry Kudlow's uh, suggestion that uh, that uh, uh, Elon, uh, he should be uh, appointed to the chairman of the Fed. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing. You know, here's the interesting thing. You know, because you know, this was reported in CNBC. Now he says he paid eleven billion dollars, uh, but CNBC estimate he may pay as much as fifteen billion dollars, which is a combined state and federal tax rate of about fifty-four percent. I know he owns Tesla, so I don't know how much that matters. But I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know, we keep hearing about, you know, the wealthy not paying their fair share. Well, I don't know, fifty-four percent. Fifteen up to eleven to fifteen billion dollars. That's uh, that's a whole lot of money to be out there paying. Which leads me to the question: Who's doing his accounting? <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently he didn't owe it all at this point, and he could have waited for a while. But he, just, for some reason, did probably uh, end of year. He decided to get get it all done at once. Yeah. But that's a lot more than uh, Elizabeth ever paid. Or even thought of paying. So yeah, well, I just I say it's he's a, he's a kind of an interesting fellow because uh, you know I have mixed emotions about this guy. On one side of the equation, his entire business model, the electric vehicle, is based on a whole lot of government subsidies. Oh yeah. But he's recently come out. 
But he's recently come out and said, you know what? You know, maybe it's time to get rid of the subsidies. And he certainly attacked the Joe Biden's, you know, build back better or uh, was a bring back bankruptcy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and and so this kind of is he's an quantity. But the one thing I've always liked about the guy is this, you know, he's basically been a foresight in a lot of areas. And I love his – I don't know if you've ever followed his SpaceX program. Essentially, he's figured out a way to get a rocket ship into space for about one-tenth the price that NASA has been doing it for the past several years. And he's basically setting a course for private sector going into space. And basically, he is our space program at the moment. Uh, and when you view, view, let's say, with China entering the space race and China – and, and Russia going into the space race, and we basically have a second space race, not just going to the moon, and, and but also going to Mars. Uh, you know, Elon Musk is one of those, is one of those guys who's been thinking about this for a long time. And I just, you know, I, I'm, there's this part of me that says, you know, you know, this is an innovator, an entrepreneur. Yeah, he, you know, he's probably got a few government subsidies in there somewhere, but uh, he's not a, you know. And there are times in which, you know, you, you think the guy's somewhat bonkers, but you know, he's smart enough to put together a company like Tesla and and almost design a space program. Your thoughts? Well, I, I think it's pretty incredible what he's done uh, based on on what, what – if you look at it very uh, objectively, he's, yeah. uh, he's, he's saying let's uh, – Switch the uh, usage of uh, fossil fuels from uh, the individual uh, cars to uh, massive uh, electrical uh, facilities, uh, all of which are going to be running on fossil fuels. I mean, I, I, it, it seems like anybody that looks twice at that says, uh, well, wait a minute, why are we doing this? After all, uh, we're not. I thought the idea was to get rid of fossil fuels. Well, it's not. It's certainly that's certainly not true. So, um, for him to sell this to a, a lot of people who are really very uh, sophisticated, I, 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 I got to give him credit. <laughs> he's, yeah, he's quite a yeah. hell of a salesman. Well, you know, he, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's, I mean. Because this is always the great thing. There are two aspects of the story. The other aspect, you know, you, you know we thought is that the batteries have, you know, minerals that basically are, you know, there, you know, are, you know, you basically have lithium, copper, uh, you know, it's just the two of this, where you literally have to go out of the country to get them. I mean, in effect, China. You know, not, you know, China has their share of those minerals, and guess what else? You know, Africa is the other con- is the continent about sixty percent of your you know, copper. I think it's copper or cobalt is mined in in Africa, uh, with a good portion of what you and I would describe as slave labor or child labor. And, and if you and of course, here's the irony that comes into play. If you go back to the one of those big scandals uh, with the Biden administration, guess you know, who helped? Facilitate a deal 
for China to go buy a copper, you know, buy some of these mines in Africa. I'll give you a hint. Uh, he's the son Does of the president. last name start with a B? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last name starts with a B. Yes. So, but it's a, yeah, it, it's an interesting concept. I mean, there's, all of this is fascinating. Now, I did read uh, where Musk thought about, you know, let me see if I can find that story. Uh Compromise and, and Cal, you know, and uh, okay, here it is. Uh, here's the story. Uh, and again, this is an interesting concept. Uh, uh, partnering, you know, they have decided to become technical partner, partners in a nickel mine, which is needed for lithium ion that powers the car. Uh, they'll buy nickels from a mine. In a Pacific island of New Caledonia, uh, which is a French uh, province, and so I mean, he's like I said, he's not just thinking ahead in this regard, but he's looking at the, you know, he's looking at this stuff and saying, "Oh my God, okay, you know, maybe we ought to be looking elsewhere," uh, and. Uh, and so, and again, he's looking at copper as another vehicle. And I think that the so there, uh, so it's an interesting concept here that he's doing. He's looking, you know, not just at the car, but he's looking at the minerals that it takes to build a car. Well, they're all. It's a different set by far than than what we're used yeah. to. Yeah. Well, yeah. here's the thing. Let me, let me give you. Yeah, here's the aspect of the story. I just caught this. Elon Musk is reducing the use of cobalt in favor of nickel, mine nickel, to find child labor and controversial adapted in the Dominican Republic of Congo, which, by the way, happens to be the main cobalt supplier. Interesting enough, copper is in the United States. The mineral, one of the um, you know, Minnesota's got one of the largest in the U.S. worth of copper. So it'd be kind of interesting to see what happens there. But we're going to follow up on this as Tom Dawson Dawson files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. As we take a quick break. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent. One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism one in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Ladies and gentlemen, this particular segment is brought to you by... Napa Know How. 
Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. I'm Dawson. Dawson Files here with the great Dr. Larry, a man whose resume is so thick it equals the war the war and peace for pages. <laughs> That's just because I couldn't yeah. hold a job. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, all right, all right. Back to uh, you know, back to us. Okay. Uh, you know, I. Like I said, I found myself, you know, it, this whole thing is intriguing because, you know, I've come to a conclusion that we have some of the dumbest politicians in the world, or at least that we have the dumbest politicians in our gener- you know, in a generation that are my lifetime, possibly yours. And Elizabeth Warren is one of those. The only reason why I would say Elizabeth Warren is not completely, you know, in the top ten is because she's got members of the squad that certainly – are competing with her for the, you know, the most ignorant. And I, I just loved what the guy did. I mean, he, I don't know if he caught some of his tweets, but he said, you know, he said he's a fake, he's a phony, you know, uh, whatever. Uh, let me, you know, uh, you know, it's okay. How do we see here? Oh, freeloader, you know, freeloader, and uh, and Elon Musk. Well. Came back with uh, Elizabeth quick projecting, and then brings up a, stu- a story about her and her lives about being a Native American. She'll never live that down. No, well she should. To be honest with you. Yeah, uh, I mean she should. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if you truly think about, it, I mean, what she did is she took. The position of a minority, who probably you know, which was which is what this place, which is what this uh, program was designed for. I mean, she took a spot that should have belonged to somebody else. Yeah, I I would almost use the word fraud. Uh, in a way, you know, you know, putting something like this down on a piece of paper, saying, "Yeah, I'm Native American," and you benefit, which she did. She benefited from this. Yeah, I mean, you know, getting her tenure, and then if she got her tenure, she was like, well, how do I say it? She suddenly became white again. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. So, but, uh, all right. Now, this is another story that I thought was interesting, mainly because, uh, you know, it's kind of a – we it's like this reaction to uh you know Joe Manchin basically saying no boss on B B B you know the build back better or whatever it is that they call this. And uh so and whenever you're in doubt okay, Congressman Jamel Bowman 
took the CNN immediately. God, they're always going CNN when they go after somebody like this, right? And and he cavalier called his congressional colleague for voting against this a white supremacist. It's frustrating to me as a black man in America, where once again Joe Manchin, as white man, showing he doesn't care about black people, doesn't care about Latinos, doesn't care about immigrants, doesn't care about women, doesn't care about the poor. He's a millionaire and a privilege to kick the can down and not vote for this bill while people in my district are suffering. <laughs> yeah, and I and I guess maybe the question I would throw back is you know, don't blacks, Hispanics, women benefit from a sound economy, non inflationary economy? And spending five trillion dollars we don't have may in fact drive that very inflation higher. I guess my question is is there anything that they don't use the race card for? Your thoughts? Uh, well, my thought about that is is probably not. So um, get ready for it. And I think that we have yeah. to stop being a sh- being a, a, a stopped in our tracks by that accusation because you know, we know that. Where we and most Americans are not uh, really, uh, 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 we're not we're not really the people that are uh, racist by inclination or or uh, uh, interest or concern because we couldn't we can't afford to be. There's too many uh, people of different uh, colors and different uh, races that are very active and very powerful in our society and you can you're taking your 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 heart in your hands if you decide that you're going to you're going to uh accost people on the basis of their race i mean it, it's simply not feasible anymore and it it doesn't uh it's uh, it, it it's it's yesterday's problem or yesterday's uh situation and these people that that are keep uh, talking about it, they they really some of some of it comes from a very real and very uh, heartfelt uh, conviction uh, that, uh, that that white people really are against black people, and this would be people that are uh, stranded into poverty and to uh, crime, in uh, mainly in our big cities. Uh, and they really, they really believe that, and, and therefore they become victims of the uh, trouble troublemakers. But most most of the people, uh, you know, you don't even. I mean, how many how many business contacts have you had by telephone and by computer uh, where you never you didn't realize the you never thought to ask or to find out what the what the race of the uh, person on the other end was, or if you did, you found out and you you found it kind of uh, interesting or amusing or even admirable. It it's it's just a whole different uh, mindset, and it, it's uh, and it, by the way, there is a lot of there's a lot of uh, anchor to this uh, this kind of uh, indifference to. Uh, 
ethnic and, and racial differences. I mean, if you look back at uh, Abraham Lincoln and and, uh, and Ulysses Grant, for example, um, they were very, uh, very, very uh, colorblind when it came to uh, the uh, the uh, rights of uh, various people, and they associated with with uh, people of the other races and uh, did their best to try to uh, make their their uh, their whole uh, life a lot better. And uh, that that really goes back a long ways. So it's just it's just it's completely out of context and it's out of reality. It's a it's a uh, it's frankly my my estimation it's it's a form of uh, victimhood uh, people that feel victimized by life either because of their uh, uh, disposition or their lack of intelligence or their lack of training or their lack of opportunity uh, and they're they're uh, they're very dis disgusted with themselves and they don't have a very high personal uh, uh, admiration or, or, or tolerance of their own uh, worth, and uh, they therefore want everybody else to suffer. And there's uh, yep. a considerable amount of uh, literature that would uh, that shows that that takes that, that position. So it's, mm -hmm. it's just people trying to make make victims out of other people because they are victims they feel themselves. But, but here's the other thing. Let me just uh, – because uh, we took a poll, and just to give you kind of an idea, okay, we asked black voters uh, on inflation, how important it is, is controlling inflation. 78% said it was very important. 18% said somewhat important, so basically uh, 96%. 96% of African Americans in the state of Georgia says, uh, you know, this is important. Compared to 92% of whites said it was important. Uh, you asked a question on crime. Uh, again, it's you know 94% of blacks said controlling crime was an important issue to them. And so these are, in a way, it's somewhat insulting to minorities to sit back and say, well, look. You know, that somehow or another, unless they believe in left-wing orthodoxy, it's racism, or that they are not capable of looking at issues beyond just the prism or how much you know government spending there's going to be to what the impact of the spending is going to be on their daily life. Your thoughts? Well, uh you haven't said anything that's very controversial in my mind. Uh, I think that's yeah, I know. Pretty, pretty well, much. We the live way, in a world where it operates. Yeah, we, yeah, but we live in a world, quite frankly, where things like that are controversial. Common sense has become controversial. Uh, <laughs> uh, seriously, uh, I mean, you look at the thing that you and I, uh, you know, what we're talking about in the show. Now, there are things we wouldn't even discuss on the show because almost everybody agreed. I mean, there are just certain things. I mean, what I just talked about is, is one of those things. I can remember years ago, uh, there was a professor, Amy Wax, and she talked about bourgeoisie virtues. You know, work hard, you know, move up the economic ladder, 
you know, you know, wait till you're, you know, married till you get, you know, to, to have children, you know, study hard in school. I mean, and she made, she actually gave the speech, and she was condemned for being a racist, for bringing up these basic issues that, let's say, you and me, and anybody, any person, regardless of race, would have accepted as being true. Now, you and I would sit back and say, well, this all makes sense. Unless you go to an Ivy League education, it suddenly becomes controversial. Your thoughts? Well, I didn't quite catch. I didn't quite follow that, Tom. I'm sorry. Okay, here's okay. Here's what she. Now, I guess there are things that today. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take a quick break and I'll come right back with that. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse. Go, guys. Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow, Jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah. Pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys. Did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Yeah, Tom Dawson, Dawson Piles, don't forget, if you want to listen to this show, you can go to the bachelornews.airtime.pro every day at 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can listen to this show. I'll repeat, 4 p- 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. every day on the Donaldson Files here in the Bachelor News Radio Network. All right. Okay, here's the point I was going to make. You know, we talked about you know, what you and I would consider common sense, what most people consider common sense, right? A professor at Penn University, you know, wrote a piece, gave a speech, where she talked about people, you know, the standard, you know, what she called bourgeoisie virtues of moving up, you know, work hard, uh, study hard in school. You know, don't show up with, you know, don't show up <laughs> work stoned or drunk. These would be things that you and I would even disagree with, and I doubt that many of our liberal friends 20 years ago would disagree with that. Would you agree with that? Would I agree that yeah. people should this is show sense. up drunk or yeah. – uh, yeah, Well, let me ask you a course. question. Yeah. Would you say that the majority of your friends, including those on the other side politically – would agree with those state that statement. That that people shouldn't show up drunk or uh, 
Yeah, shelf drunk. Too tired to yeah, operate. Drunk. Yeah, shelf drunk at to work. Uh, wait till you, uh, you know, wait till you get married to have children. Work hard, and when you're in school, study hard. Would you say that most of your, a lot of your friends, including your liberal friends, would agree that's a good way to move up the economic ladder? That that's a good way to be successful in your life. Yeah, I think that's kind of a. It's broad, but yeah, that probably is true. I mean, well, most, imagine most you people give, I know yeah. would do go for yeah, it. Yeah, but imagine going to an Ivy League education, being told that that's white privilege, racist. You shouldn't bring it up. This is you know derogatory to minorities. So I'm I I don't need to explain the reason why because I can't explain the reason why. But this professor was actually. They had people wanting to censor her, punish her for actually saying these things. Well, that sounds pretty uh, ridiculous, doesn't it? It does. That's my point. It is ridiculous. And it goes, you know, it goes back to the point that you know, I was making earlier, where you and I were talking about. It. We look at things and we say, you know, this makes common sense. This is something that most people would agree on, and yet you have a segment of the population that, quite frankly, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's all, you know, you know, it, you know, they will basically say, if I say the sky is blue, they'll say it's red. I mean, we're at that point where common sense my motives to move up the economic ladder or to oppose or disagree with a policy is independent, you know, should be based on the facts, based on the data, and not turn into a racial epithet every time somebody disagrees with you. I mean, we're at that point. Uh, and it, yeah, but it's more complicated than that, really. I mean, if if you look at it from their point of view, they 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 look upon themselves and their their community as as having as much talent and as much uh, energy and as much uh, act, uh, desire to succeed as anybody else in the country, and yet they aren't. And everybody they know is is uh, is in the same in the same uh, boat of uh, not succeeding and and living in poverty and and trying to figure out how to how to make ends meet, even if they have to turn to tr- crime to do it. And so their they, their their reasoning is that uh, it can't be that they're genetically or or otherwise uh, handicapped. It, it must be something else. And, and what, what else is there? Well, what else is there is is the culture. That's that's certainly one possibility. And uh, and they they turn to that and they say, well. There must be uh, that the uh, that the uh, the people in the in the good ca- in the big cars and the and the great jobs and the people you see on television and the movies and uh, they all even in, even in athletics that somehow or other they got there and and uh, it it was uh, and why 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 did why doesn't anybody I know uh that's that wealthy or that successful and 
and uh, it's just it becomes intolerable. And, and I mean, it's it's not it's not altogether a stupid um, assumption either, because there certainly is a history of, uh, and particularly in certain areas of the country, of uh, prejudice and 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 uh, and so on. So. Uh, yeah, well, here's the, the yeah, problem. Here's what I'm going to disagree. They, that they they're looking yeah. in the wrong place for the for the answer to their problems. Yeah, well, here's uh, what I'm going to. It's not altogether their fault. No, here's the yeah. I mean, here's the problem. I I find it you know with this argument, it, it, and I agree with you. You know, enough is this. If you go look, I mean, you know, we had you know Jim Eccles, uh, and I did a study on you know black entrepreneurship, and. He made some interesting observations. He said, if you go back and you look at, even in a period of segregation, when things were really dark, you had successful businesses being formed. Uh, you know, they were able, and you had good education, and you had blacks who were talking about, let's move up. We got to get educated. We got to, you know, work hard. We got to, you know, pull ourselves up even against this, you know, slight racism. And you know, Wolf O'Reilly, who's been on our show numerous times, uh, on this show numerous times, you know, made an interesting observation. He said, look, you look at the top 10 groups that earn earnings, and 7 out of 10 would be classified as people of color. When you look at, let's say, Africans from Guyana, Africans from Nigeria who are immigrants coming into this country, they have an average income above white. So the question that comes into play, what is happening in some of these communities, and it's not just whites or blacks. You can see the same thing, for example, you know, again, Wolf O'Reilly's made this point, and so has Jim Eccles. You go into places like, you know, white, you know, places where you have uh, whites and what I would call poor whites in uh, Kentucky, and you see a lot of the same things, a lot of the same failures that you're seeing. <laughs> And and the question is, what, you know, why is it that a Nigerian immigrant can come in this country and end up making more money than the average white person? Uh, you know, what is it that they're doing? And this is the point I'm going to go, go back to. Is I'm not going to deny racism exists, or it, that's not an obstacle. But we live in a society today, unlike, let's say, 60 years ago, where you literally had government laws that was keeping you from succeeding. You had, I mean, you weren't even allowed in certain restaurants, set foot in certain restaurants, as an example. And you look at it today, and you actually have a higher percentage of blacks that are in the middle class than ever before. So my question, you know, so there are successes coming out, and there are reasons for their successes. You know, the average immigrant works hard. They study. They put everything into it, uh, into their, you know, to move up, and they're successful, even in spite of the prejudices that are out there. That's why they're making more money. And, and, and I'm going back to the original point I made with Amy Wax, the professor. You know, she's making a point. You know, to succeed, these are the things you need to do. If you do these things, your chances of success are greater than if you don't do those things. We know, for example, if you have you know, a single-parent household, for example, 
routinely have a higher percentage of poverty. I mean, let me take this a step further. The average white family, you know, average whites is about 22% living in poverty, you know, children living in poverty or living in poverty, and a single female has, you know, has, you know just say a, a single parent household. Uh, but on the other side of that, on the other side of that, okay, an household. What's the percentage of married black couples living in poverty? And the answer is 7%. In other words, you're one-third more likely to live in poverty if you're married and black than the average white person at 22%. Your thoughts? Well, that's that's certainly one of the major factors in in uh, the whole poverty equation, um, and that is the breakdown of the of the of the family, the black family. Uh, it's not just blacks, though. It's 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 just it's, sure. it's more prominent among blacks, but but there are also uh, the same the same uh, essential uh, figures uh, applied to any race. That uh, does, if they if they if they don't have enough money to, uh, if they can't make enough money to the men can't make enough money to support the family, then the uh, whole uh, thrust of uh, American uh, economics since the great uh, the, since Lyndon Johnson are to uh, uh, do, do, do get 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 the uh, wife uh, separated from, or the woman separated from the husband so that she can do better on welfare. And that, that is, that's a whole different subject really, but um, it, it certainly is certainly a major factor. And, uh, and, and, but that's not, that, that, that really has essentially doesn't have anything to do with race. It has to do with, uh, with the uh, opportunity, uh, the lack of opportunity, and the lack of uh, of a uh, work hard, keep your nose clean type of culture, uh, because uh, people do do that, and and it doesn't help them at all. They end up getting shot at night uh, while they're walking through a park or something. Um, it's 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 it is it it is a complicated situation and. And it does require some uh, some uh, practice of uh, understanding and and uh, and lifting people up by their by their uh, bootstraps. I mean, you know, I think uh, Bob Woodson, Woodson has a he really has a very good grasp on this this whole subject and. And he says that the problem is essentially that the uh, people from the neighborhoods have not uh, they've they've fallen into the trap of the welfare trap, and because of that they've uh, they've suffered great uh, great harm uh, both individually and and as a as a group. Uh, and but but the way out of it is the same way that uh, that um, a number of uh, black entrepreneurs have gotten gotten out of it, uh, 
and some are now uh, multi-millionaires, even uh, even billionaires. Uh, and that, that that's the kind of thing that has to be uh, advocated. And that gets back to what you were talking about: is you know the the, the old uh, homely virtues of uh, work hard and keep your nose clean and uh, and uh, try to do the best you can. Not everybody succeeds, even even uh, uh, even that does that. But your chances are certainly better. But yeah. to get well, that, to get that, that yeah. to get that that message through, you got to have some some. Uh, you have to have some people that you know that that actually did it and succeeded. And yeah, that, hold, yeah, hold on, yeah, hold on. That thought. This time, Donaldson, Donaldson, Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network uh, with Dr. Larry. You might know me on 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedinamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. I never get the flu. My t- I never get the flu. My kids don't need more shots. I don't have time. We're all healthy. My asthma's under control. I'm pregnant. I've had the flu. It's not a big deal. My kids are too old the for flu. The media is exaggerated. I can fight it naturally. No matter how you build your excuses, the flu can blow your house down. Keep your foundation strong. Vaccinate. Learn more at flu.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We're back here in the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And, yeah, this is, like I say, you're absolutely right. Now I'm going to move on to another subject. Uh, no. And, again, I don't know if you caught this story. Uh, okay, it's about everybody's favorite scientist. And essentially, uh, the great I am God and I am science, Tony uh, Fashi, uh, did something that I would say uh, wouldn't, I wouldn't classify it as science. But it demonstrates, you know, the kind of person, you know, where you know, he is and some, and some of the kind of the persons we're seeing are – Scientific bureaucracy. I've made the point, and you know, I've, you know, I've kind of made this point that uh, you know, in my book, the, the scientific class, where you got groups of scientists who are perfectly willing to prostitute the science to fit their agenda. And here's the interesting thing: news, new emails released by the Freedom of Information Act. Revealed that last year, the ongoing National Institute of Health Director Francis Collins instructed Tony Fauci to carry out a quick and devastating takedown on the Great Barrington Declaration, a, a document authored by experts who advocated focus protection for the most vulnerable over universal lockdown, who also stated that herd immunity eventually is going to be needed to stop the current pandemic. And um, And they uh, so I mean I'm, and and it's interesting because 
he basically you know went after other scientists working with the media to you know to basically attack them to disgrace them to put them on the outside looking in you know view them as they're just a group of epidemiologists even though all of these scientists he attacked probably are better scientists than he is but I know you've brought this up before, you know, the personality of Tony Fauci. I just think this was an interesting story because can you imagine if this was a – let's say if this was something Trump engineered. We found out that Trump was engineering a war against Tony Fauci. Let's discredit Tony Fauci. You know, what the reaction would be. But Tony Fauci was the one doing the uh, damage. He was the one – you know, discrediting other scientists as opposed to looking at their science. Your thoughts? Um, I, I don't have a lot to say about that. I mean, I think uh, I think that uh, Fauci himself is, as I said before, um, I think his basic motivation is he's trying to cover his involvement in all in in the Wuhan facility uh, and. Uh, and he's he's been successful for a long time. I don't. I think his success is starting to to uh, disintegrate in front of him. But uh, nevertheless, uh, he's uh, still he's still there, and he's still telling everybody that he's he's he is the science, which is yeah. <laughs> pretty uh, bold. <laughs> um, so uh, uh, I I don't know of any other people that yeah. that have that same kind of arrogance, uh, but uh, but he certainly does. Yeah. Well, you know, this is I mean, this is but to, the, to me, the big story in all of this is that we're seeing a government effort to discredit. The critics of their policy. It wasn't like, and that to me is a danger sign. And this is the thing that really kind of bugs me because this is one of those things where, you know, this is one of those dangerous things where literally, you know, we're not talking about science being debated. Where let's say if you don't think this guy, this these scientists are right, what evidence do you have to say they're not right? And and I would recommend people read "Plague on Our House" by Scott Atlas. Because he was brought in, he was part of this group, brought in to kind of look at, you know, what was happening, and he had the same views. He said, you know, let's, you know, let's not have a generalized lockdown. Let's more or less go, you know, deal with the vulnerable. Uh, uh, we got, you know, because the lockdowns will have their own side effects that would be rather devastating, which has proved to be true. And and in his book, he talks about. How often he would show up to meetings with papers and science, scientific literature. Hey, here's the latest. And he would find out that nobody, you know, Tony Fauci, Debbie Burks, and others, they wouldn't even bother not only not to bring their not only not to bother bringing their own science, but even disputing his or even talking about it or even, you know, confronting him or saying, Okay, I agree with this or disagree, here's why. I mean he said there was no intellectual curiosity among these people. It's like they design a plan and come to hell to high water, they're going to keep that plan going. And 
And so Well, he's he's right about he's right about the fact about that. There are a lot of people like that. But like what so yeah. what? I mean that's not that's not exactly uh great revelation, you know. I mean I, everybody no. knows people like that. No, everybody knows it, but I mean, here's the thing. These are the people who were essentially the, given the task of running the task force on our response to the coronavirus. And to me, what I mean, what I find fascinating was, is you would have outsiders like this outside Scott Atlas coming in saying, "Look, you know, here's what the science is now saying," and not have anybody even acknowledge the fact that the science was changing. And as he stated, I mean, they would never come back and say, here's the reason why we're doing what we're doing. Here are the facts. They would never confront him with their own science. And these were the people held responsible for the coronavirus response. And, you know, it's one of those things when I'm sitting there looking at a group of people who, scientifically speaking, have, you know, are not making any adjustments of what, or what the data is actually saying. And looking at the data and saying, okay, here's what the data is saying. Here's how the data has changed. I mean, it's like come hell, high water, we're going to do what we want to do because, it's, you know, and there is certainly a political agenda involved in this as well. And you stated to yourself this was, you know, Trump's biggest gamble. And it was a gamble that, quite frankly, you know, when he did the original lockdown. And then well, he extended that lockdown. Yeah. Go ahead. I think well, I I mean I think that it's it's just as true that that um, the people that that allowed that to happen are also responsible. I mean, yeah. uh, and 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 the, and the fact is that uh, Trump himself was uh, he got on to this uh, Fauci, uh, uh, the emperor of wisdom, sort of. Uh, uh, person, he got onto all that, but it was too late. He couldn't. He couldn't turn back the. He couldn't just go back out and and tell people, "Oops, we made a mistake. We go back to work now tomorrow." At least it wasn't in his. It wasn't in his wheelhouse to go ahead and do that kind of thing. So. Uh, so he didn't. But I think that I think he's he's at fault too. Uh, yeah. It's a well, I would agree. I mean, I, yeah, I would agree. I'm not going to disagree with what you said because this is the aspect of the play. You're the chief executive, and and again, I'm going to go back to Scott Atlas's book because Scott Atlas makes it kind of clear that Trump understood what was happening. And understood, you know, and he, he, pretty, and he stated pretty early, yeah, yeah, understood. But the reality, you just stated it. He didn't make any adjustments. He didn't make a change. He didn't say, okay, Tony, I'm going to put you out in the back. You know, I'm going to put you to the side. As, uh, as uh, you know, Scott Atlas points out in his book, they were deathly afraid of what, you know, Tony Fossey or Debbie Books would do, say, if they were allowed, if they were pretty much kicked off, you know, run to the media and do what they want to do. It was like, you know, let's just play a waiting game until we get through the election. But you're up. But you're absolutely right, and I think uh, to me, when you look at historic, you know, go back, and, you know, look at it. You know, my view would be, well, it, you know, damn you, damn you, don't. But the reality was, 
he didn't help himself by keeping him there. And whatever criticism he would have gotten, it would have been no worse than what he was getting anyway. So if you're going to you know, screw up, I'm reminded of the old line. There's a movie, God, what was that? It was Paul Newman. Paul Newman played this lawyer. And and there's this one line he uses. The judge kept, you know, objecting to, you know, objected to what he's doing. And finally he said, you know, judge, let me, if I'm going to lose this case, let me lose it on my own. I don't need your help in losing it. <laughs> and and it's kind of the same well, That's right about here. what happened. That's exactly what happened. You know, it's under the category of, you know, trouble that, you know, Trump shows that, you know what? It doesn't matter what I'm going to do. The media is going to hate me anyway. I might as well do the right thing. Yeah. And, well, you, he, and he does have a. You know, his, he, he, he got himself into a box because he, uh, he did what, what he's supposed to do and, and got the governors involved because most of these issues really ultimately were um, local or, or at least no bigger than state uh, requirements. And, and he did a marvelous job of, of uh, uh, recruiting and, and converting uh, the, uh, the, the governors of both, both parties. They were very much, uh, very much in accord with, with uh, trying to help you know, alleviate the, uh, the major effects of this terrible scourge that, that suddenly appeared. Uh, but then, but, but he lost control by doing that, too. And so suddenly, instead of him being in charge of, uh, of the task force that was controlling or at least uh, appearing every single day to give reports to the American people, uh, he could have fired anybody at that point, and, and there's nothing they could have done. But as soon as he started turning things over to the uh, governors, he lost he lost control of the whole situation at about the same time when he personally began to realize that he was being taken for a ride and uh so he was in a he was in a dilemma that uh, of his own making but nevertheless real and he couldn't really he yeah. couldn't have stopped the thing at that point because it wasn't his decision i mean they were they uh he talked him into uh, taking this whole thing very seriously, and he couldn't go back and say, "Oh, by the way, I made a mistake. It isn't too so serious." <laughs> you know, uh, it, it just well, couldn't, you know, it, he, he it, couldn't have done it. Yeah, I mean, it's a catch point too. You're, you're in the way you're right. You know, damn you do, damn you don't. But there's a point again. You know, I stated because even the governor. Because here's the thing, governors. You know, some of them, you know, like DeSantis said, you know, this is nonsense. I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to follow. What the science really is saying, and move on from there. Not very I'm not going to do it. Not many, but I mean, but here's the I thing. But of. here's the, but here's the story again. You know, this is a point that Scott Atlas made makes, and that is in the book. He talks about the fact that okay, you had a policy. You know, Trump is moving toward one policy, and that policy. And again, you're saying the governors are you know the ones instituting the policy because we have a federalist system. But they were also getting advice on what to do and what not to do. And, and as Scott Atlas points out, that, that the advice that Debbie Brooks was going directly to the governors with was in contradiction 
to the policy that uh, Donald Trump wanted to see enacted. And and as you make the point, as you make the you know the point you make, is you know, you know where does the buck stop? Well, it stops in the Oval Office. Uh, so I think we're going to kind of take a quick. We're going to kind of, we've got about four minutes left, and. And so what I wanted to do is, uh, so what's going on for you in Thanksgiving? What's your game plan with the, uh, with the, your family? Well, uh, we are doing things uh, kind of uh, disjointed uh, this this uh, this time because uh, some of the people, some of the families have decided that Florida is a much more uh, benign uh, climate for. Uh, for anything than than uh, than uh, Northern Virginia, and they're going down to the, um, I guess all the way down to to uh, I don't know exactly where they are going, but anyway, they're 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 going down to Florida for the uh, for a little vacation, and um, so we're trying mm-hmm. to get things together in in advance. <laughs> ah. Well, I mean, Sam, I've been doing that for a long time because you know, we used this is the first year in a long time we've had the entire family together. Uh, so, yeah, hello, yeah, okay, I just pushed the wrong button there. <laughs> uh oh, yeah, no, I, I okay, it's all cool, it's all cool. Uh, don't panic, people. <laughs> But no, as I just said, it's the first year we've had everybody together, so it's been so long. We you know, actually have you know the whole family together, along with the cat who's sitting here on my lap while while I'm doing this. Oh my so, goodness, that's yeah. fun. Right? So yeah, it's fun. Yeah, yeah, I mean he's he's just sitting here relaxing and listening to the show. <laughs> so, well, at least he's got good taste in uh, in broadcasting. Absolutely, another fan of the show. This is Tom Donaldson, and we got about one and a half minutes. So I, I wanted to take some time to with the audience. Uh, You know, Dr. Larry's got something very special to start his show with. So you got to stay stay on this network for the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom. I want to wish everybody a wonderful. Merry Christmas and a happy holiday. This is Tom Donaldson saying good night.
a little period of time to talk about the meaning of Christmas. And I'd like to start by uh, just a simple note about uh, the fact that uh, once, upon, once again Christmas is upon us, although the secular city is trying to take the Christ out of Christmas. We are constantly wished happy holidays and season's greetings. And now, if you are not a Christian and it offends you to speak of Christmas, so be it. This is a free country, after all, at least so far. But if you are a Christian, please do not use these other terms out of fear, embarrassment, or courtesy. Go ahead and Christ back into Christmas. So my main thoughts are as follows. As we look around at the Christmas decorations, programs, ceremonies, shopping, cards, greetings, and the whole Christmas season, what message do we get? What does it all mean? Clearly, something unusual and good is in the air. People seem friendlier. Parties and benefits are everywhere. Charities, soup kitchens, and the Salvation Army are busier than usual. When we think of the origin of Christmas, we realize that it began as a celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Today, however, it is possible to go through the entire Christmas time without ever hearing that name. Many children are taught that the central figure of Christmas is Santa Claus on his mission of kindness and goodwill. So what about this Jesus Christ? Is he still important? Even relevant? Well, we know he must be important if much of the world still celebrates his birthday, which happened two millennia ago. With a little research, we can discover that much of the world still belongs to the organization he founded, namely the Christian Church in its many variations. Why? Why is this man's influence still felt after so many centuries? That is a harder question to answer, and there are many answers. Some officially pronounced by church authorities, some by individuals. Ultimately, each person must give his or her own answer. And this is my answer. Christians believe that Jesus Christ was God come to earth. God's creation of the perfect man. That idea has a richness that confirms our value as human beings. Because, quote, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, as John's gospel tells us. In Jesus, we have, we have seen a vision of the perfect human being. And that is that assurance the assurance that such a being can exist in spite of all the evil and pettiness we see around us. The coming of Jesus calls us to a higher version of ourselves, a better self. The coming of Jesus set the standard of human behavior much higher than it had been before. All of us have our failures as human beings. But the fact of Jesus Christ allows us to better understand when we fail and gives us hope that we and other people as well can do better 
can be more like the Christ. Then there is his story. We have only pieces of his story, bio-sketches in the Gospels, along with some of his key teachings. Some of the things that happened in that story are fundamentally shocking. He could have come to earth as Superman, but he didn't. He came as a helpless little baby. He chose to be born poor, not the first choice of most of us. He worked his way up in a world by his words, backed up by his wor works, both of which were extraordinary. He chose peaceful rebellion instead of military force. He forgave his enemies. He called everyone his brother or sister. And he worked miracles on occasion to demonstrate that he had the power to do otherwise, but chose kindness and mercy rather than violence and force. So they killed him. But then he did the most spectacular deed of all. He rose from the dead. And therein lie the lessons of the perfect man. Powerful, yet humble. Peaceful, yet killed by violence. Defeated, yet triumphant. Defining victory as resurrection, rather than domination. His message is an interpretation of human life at odds with everything the world teaches us about a successful life. It is a call to become a better person. The transcendent lesson, however, is pretty clear. We are all going to die. What will matter, then, is how we lived. How closely to that perfect human being have we been able to become. Christmas celebrates the coming of God to earth, to us. It is a thrilling realization that this event ever happened. This event that brings hope and joy and forgiveness into our lives and gives us a vision of the mountaintop from which we can launch our own resurrection. If God so loved us, then we are all worth loving. We all can love fearlessly, completely, and happily. We celebrate and give each other gifts as a recognition of God's love for each of us, of your value as a person loved by God and loved by me, a value which was revealed once and for all on the day that God sent his son to be born in a manger in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. So yes, Christmas is still relevant today. And Merry Christmas to all. You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Yes, yes. So that's my statement for the uh, for this uh, opening, Tom, and uh, uh, you are entitled to a rebuttal. <laughs> I I like there's, there's nothing to rebuttal there. There's nothing to rebuttal. It's uh, uh, but I think here's the interesting thing. I mean, 
you, you make so many points. Uh, and the first point is don't be ashamed to be a Christian. Don't be ashamed to say Merry Christmas. Uh, and I think that's a very basic point, but you know, how many people today are scared to say Merry Christmas as opposed to Happy Holidays? I mean, yeah. I've always said, you know, Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday uh, because my co-host is Jewish. But she doesn't offend – but she's not offended when I use the word Merry Christmas. And she does celebrate Christmas. So, uh, so I think that's a valid, interesting point. This is the first thing right off the bat to me that just struck me is, you know – you know, don't be ashamed. Your thoughts. Well, I, as a follow-up to what you said. Yeah, I obviously agree with you, and I think that we miss if we just talk about Santa Claus and and all the uh, pageantry. We really miss uh, an opportunity for a uh, tremendous insight into the possibilities of human of human beings, and uh, and that is sorely needed in our civilization. We, we need to know that people are really worth, uh, worth that, that their, their value is beyond any kind of uh, uh, simple discrimination that we might make. And I think that's, that is the fundamental meaning of the uh, coming of the, of the Christ. Uh, in uh, in in the Christian faith, and and it frankly is nothing to be uh, uh, is not only nothing to be ashamed of. It's it's also nothing to be uh, taken lightly uh, by by anybody. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Before I get to another point, uh, why don't we take a quick break here? Here on the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. And this segment also will be brought to you by... Napa Know How! Napa Guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Let me kind of follow up on a point that you're making here. Again, it's redemption 
And I think one of my favorite stories, and always, and there's some really classic movies that have been done along those side, those uh, lines, and that is, you know, Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. And it is, it's, a, it's an interesting story because it talks about redemption, that person can be redeemed through Christ. And, and if you look at the, you know, you know, the Scrooge, the character, the main character, Scrooge, you know, there's this aspect, you know, as his life, uh, as he got older, he became a darker person. And it was about just money. But even the money itself, the interesting aspect of the story is to him, money was like a toy. It was like a measurement. But he rarely used it. He didn't use it for charity. And he didn't even use it on himself. You get this impression that he got this bland house. There's nothing spectacular. It's like he collects, but he does nothing with it. Doesn't even satisfy himself. You know, and then he's got his nephew Fred, who every you know, he's always saying every Christmas, you know, you know, come, you know, come visit us. And it, and it's like that reaching out. It's Fred reaching out, and saying, you know, come. You know, enjoy the spirit of Christmas. Be part of, you know, let's, you know, be part of what, let's all be part together as a family. But he was that, he's left in that hand out of redemption. And of course, we know the story of the three, the three ghosts who finally get through to him. But these, it's an, it's, you know, and it, and it, and this is a line there with the ghost of the Christmas feature where he says, why show me this if I'm beyond hope? And he understood well, at that point. It was there where he understood, I can be redeemed. I can be saved. Go ahead. Yeah, that's exactly the point of the whole story, isn't it? That yeah. That you can. That we. Everybody can be saved, even even the people that are seemingly the the least uh, interested in being saved. It. Uh, it, it's, it turns out to be a pretty uh, uh, nice and and, uh, uh, and beautiful story. But it, it certainly doesn't start out that way. I mean, it starts no. out as a really uh, he's he's really a pretty uh, lousy human being. But uh, it turns out that he can even he can have he can be redeemed and and have. Uh, uh, make a lot of a lot of the things that uh, that that he sought at one point in his life were important uh, can yeah. still be uh, can still be found and, and can still be uh, made important. It's, yeah, uh, it's a, it's a, it's yeah yeah it's because I find this to be a fascinating story in the sense that the money he's earned over the years. He does nothing with, and you don't even get the impression that he spends it on himself. It's like he lives in this dark corner of the world. He's collected all of this money, and yet, you know, what good was it? What good was it? And I think it's kind of a, you know, and so it's this, it's it's a fascinating. Story and you kind of summed it right here. You say defining 
victory as resurrection rather than dominance. Powerful yet humble, peacefully yet killed by violence, defeated yet triumph, defining victory as resurrection rather than domination. And maybe in a way he uses money to dominate, but in his resurrection, he realizes he has a gift to be giving to the rest of the world, as he said. You know, I have, you know, you know, I have so much, you know, I'm, I'm past due as he goes, as he goes through his charity giving at the, you know, after this, after this. But it's, again, it, I think with the way you put it, powerful yet humble, peaceful yet killed by violence, defeated but yet triumphant, and defining victory as resurrection rather than domination. And that is the key element of what Christianity is. It is the resurrection of Christ to conquer sin and to give us all hope. It's not to be dominant. Your thoughts? I think I think the the basic the, the basic meaning to to us today in in, in the view of of our of our situation uh in 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 very um, stark terms is hope uh, right now it it appears frankly that this situation that we are facing in the United States uh perhaps of the failure of the great experiment that our civilization uh has uh uh, become uh, it. We're we're really looking at the possibility that it's all going to it's all going to go for naught. I think that the uh, advent of Christmas gives us hope that that won't happen. That's that we will in fact that, that human beings are better than that, and and that we will in fact survive and and ultimately flourish. Um, it doesn't mean that that's guaranteed. It doesn't mean that, that that has to happen. But it does say that it could happen. And if 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 God could send his only son to, to, to save us, then um, it's very uh, possible that that we can we that we are savable, first of all, and and that secondly, that we can do it. And and it's going to take a lot of uh, dedication and a lot of faith in in in, in one sense uh, in ourselves. But but we if if we're worth if we are worth what uh, what God did for us, then by George we are also uh, going to be. Uh, we, we can, in fact, win, and we can, in fact, be rewarded. And I think that that has a lot to do with with the uh, Christmas message in, in 2021, uh, because yeah. things look pretty darn grim if you if you don't have faith and hope. Yeah. But I think we can have hope, and I think that 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 may be the the, the key to the to the whole story for us right now well you're it's a, absolutely and but you know here's the thing uh i i'll I go back here to again i'm going to go back to what you stated because i think you've made some 
very valid points here that are worth you know looking at and examining this way is because here's the thing we talk about is that he could have come to earth as a superman but he didn't he came as a helpless little baby he came and if you sit back and i'm not sure that you know he was born to be poor in many ways, because you got to remember, Joseph was a carpenter, so I'm not sure, you know, how would he be defined as poor, or somebody who was at that time a worker. But yeah, well, it, it wasn't a Roman. No, it wasn't a Roman. That's that's true, and that certainly would have you know, worked against him right there. He was not Roman or a Roman citizen, but. But he, but there's a point, you know. I'm going to add to that. Okay, he could have come as Superman. He not only was a helpless baby; he was a helpless baby, and probably in the outskirts of the Roman Empire. And Palestine at that time, or Israel, was certainly not considered a plumb assignment if you were Punch's pilot. You know, it'd be like, "Hey, Punch's, we're going to make you governor." Oh, cool. Where? Uh, Someplace in Palestine, huh? <laughs> you know, so this was on the outskirts of the empire. So he's part of a outskirts of a Roman of a of an empire that dominated the Mediterranean. So he wasn't even in the best place. He wasn't in Rome. He wasn't in Athens. Uh, he was, you know, or in Athens. He was in, or even Alexandria. He was in Nazarene. He was a, a born in Bethlehem in Nazareth. And I, I, you, you look at all of this, it's not just the helpless baby side and growing up. He grew up, I mean, he was basically at the outskirt of the Roman Empire. Your thoughts? Well, that's true. Yeah. He was, uh, yeah. He certainly, he did not. The only thing, the only thing going for uh, for Israel at that time was uh, that they were considered uh, problem children for the uh, for the Roman Empire because of their their faith and uh, they didn't have faith in the uh, uh, poly poly uh, what do they call it uh, poly poly polytheism. That, uh, yeah, that, I mean he uh, did because then. Because at the time, you know, Augusta viewed himself as a god. You know, he he placed himself in a godlike position, and you had all the other gods. I mean, the Romans had this idea, you know, they you know, as long as a god can fit into their governing sanctioning, you know, their governing theater, a theory, it, you know, they accepted it. You know, I mean, a good portion of their gods actually came from Greece. So as long as it fit into the pieces of the leadership of the Roman Empire. Okay, fine, we'll tolerate it. But you make a very good point. You know, the God of Israel and our God is beyond the Roman Empire. He's beyond the emperor. He is, you know, he is the creator of all of this. And so you have a loyalty to a God that, quite frankly, uh, is beyond, you know, is beyond uh, the Roman Empire itself. Your thoughts? Yeah. 
you, you, you mentioned it earlier, and that is that uh, uh, to get that assignment, uh, Pilate was actually being punished because uh, he'd screwed up something else earlier, and they wanted to get uh, they wanted to get him uh, back on the they wanted to get him back in the uh, you know on the right track, and that was their way of trying to do it. And of course, he didn't come to a very uh, end anyway uh, as time went on. But uh, he didn't he didn't exactly uh, pass the test. But anyway, that mm-hmm. that's where that's where Jesus uh, decided to uh, to uh, make his entry. And we're uh, going to pick this up in a, in a minute. Uh, right now, uh, we're going to uh, take a break, and it's the uh, you're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. to give Dad his medicine. At 6 a.m., I make his breakfast. At 7 a.m., I shower. I start laundry at 8. At 10, we go for a walk. Every day, I wake up at 5 a.m. For those dealing with the daily struggles of caring for a loved one, we hear you. That's why AARP created a community with experts and other caregivers for advice, tips, and support. Together, let's help each other better care for ourselves and the ones we love. Visit aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Alexa, play Whitney Houston. Okay. With Amazon Music, a voice is all you need. Get access to over 50 million songs. Download the Amazon Music app today. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files here on the Bachelor News Radio Network. We're going to take a quick break here to listen to... Talk to Harold Angel Singh. Uh, just a reminder to get us back into that Christmas spirit. All right, uh, where were we, Larry? We were talking oh, about the Roman Empire and where you know Jesus chose to begin his career. And so I wanted to, and again, I'm going to go back. You're, you're right. It's so. And 
here's the other aspect is he chose peaceful rebellion instead of military force. He forgave his enemy. He called everyone his brothers or sisters. And as you stated, he worked miracles to demonstrate the power to do so, but he chose the kindness and the mercy as opposed to the violence and force. In other words, he was the complete opposite of what you would expect a Messiah to be. But I think that's a very interesting, you know, the way he does it. Your thoughts? Well, I don't know how to say it any uh, any better than, than I did in that, in that bit. Um, <laughs> no, you did. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I, th- I think that the other question is, uh, is Jesus Christ still important? Is he still even relevant? And I think if if you look at it very carefully, you discover that it's not only relevant; it's it's uh, mind blowing. Really, it's it's something yeah. we we all have to really be uh, reminded of. And luckily, we we have Christmas to do that. We got that from our ancestors, and they are they uh, re, they they were smart enough to rejoice. Uh, uh, once a year when uh, they celebrated the, the uh, coming of, of the Christ uh, and, and it was really the coming of hope I think I think it's, it's, yeah. it's as much hope as it is faith because if you, if you realize that there can be uh, a perfect human being and you realize that, that God really cared enough to try to, sh- to show us how that's done, then uh, it gives us confidence for the future, and it gives us uh, a, a renewed commitment to the human race and and to the uh, good that we can do. And and frankly, the American experiment in freedom and uh, the uh, the quest for happiness. You know, it's the it's the uh, idea that we can we can be happy in this life, and that we that there is such a uh, a possibility. But it doesn't depend on, on, on all the things that we think it might depend on uh, wealth or prestige or fame or. Um, Ability to uh, lord over and dictate—that uh, those are not—that's not the the road to happiness. The road to happiness is forgiveness. It is uh, humility. It is charity. It is uh, the uh, hope, the uh, the magnet, 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 magnitude of uh, magnanimous. Uh, uh, actions toward others for, and forgiveness and and uh, gentleness and ultimately to resurrection so that it's not a matter of dying it's a matter of of uh, dying having lived a good life and 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 being available or being uh, rewarded with with resurrection which is now within our grasp and um, if we have this kind of hope, 
then uh, the whole world starts to look uh, a much, uh, much nicer and, and, and brighter place in spite of all of the bitterness and, and violence and uh, injustice and pettiness and uh, sorrow that we, that we face. I mean, it's uh, life is, 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 a, is an, an exciting journey which uh, can be regretted or it can be looked forward to and it can be celebrated. And Christmas tells us to celebrate and, to, yeah. and how to do it. Yeah, here's a, yeah let me follow up on uh, uh, that particular point because there's the commercialization of Christmas. Part of me that doesn't mind that to this extent because it's the one time of year where we give each other gifts, but those gifts are part of us. It's not just the gifts themselves. It's the idea of giving something to somebody and really not expecting something in return. You just simply hear, I love you. This is that gift that says that. That's part of that giving. You are and I know we get into – yeah, it's far worse. Yeah, and that in many ways is worth more than, let's say, the aspect of the gift itself is the thought that goes behind it, and uh, and so I again, I mean, it, it's one of those things. It's a catch twenty two. You know, we get to the commercialization, but it's the one time of year which we give ourselves to somebody else, and vice versa, somebody gives to us. You know, and. Uh, and I think sometimes we lose sight of that, that it's not all that bad per se. Uh, so, uh, yeah. No, I, 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 don't, I don't begrudge the commercialization of, of the uh, feast. Um, it's just that it seems if we lose the essence of it, then all of the – uh, commercialization, uh, the gift giving, and the, the uh, mistletoe, and uh, and all the parties, and and uh, all the all the uh, you know various uh, manifestations of uh, kindness and and uh, so on that we associate with Christmas, it, it all kind of becomes kind of vapid because why? Why are we, why are we doing this? And if you don't yeah. really know and you don't really realize what what it is that is behind the the uh, the goodwill and and the charity and and the uh, bringing out of the good side of human beings, if you don't realize why 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 that should be happening at Christmas, you're missing the reason. If you miss the reason. Then you're down to uh, what am I? What what kind of gift is uh, Daddy going to give me? You know. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I mean, I awesome. agree. I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I agree exactly with what you're saying. You know, once we lose the Christ out of Christmas, it becomes just another holiday. It's more than just another holiday. It is the representation for 1.5 billion Christians throughout the world. This is the central focus of our life, or, you know, who we are as a people. 
let me let me throw this. Uh, there's the we know the debate. Remember this story in which the Pharisees try to trap Jesus and they give him a coin, and he takes the coin, and he said, "Well, who's on the coin? Caesar." And he makes this statement: "You give the things that belong to Caesar to Caesar." You give the things that belong to God, God. It was a, and it was his, and it was a very brilliant way of a getting out of the trap. But more importantly, he pretty much this is an undermining statement that undermines the Romans and their position in this way, because he's basically say, hey, you know, pay your taxes to Caesar so you can build your roads. But those avenues that belong to God, you give to God. In other words. Caesar has his place in this world, but it's not above God. And that God has his sphere of influence as well. In other words, he doesn't deny the right of Caesar to govern, but he is also to say to Caesar, God governs you. And I think it's one of those fascinating, when you start thinking through what Jesus was saying at that time, what he meant. It's you know it could be you have to view it for what it was a undermining of the empire by reminding not just the Pharisees but the Romans there's a spear that belongs to Caesar but there's also a spear that belongs to God. Your thoughts? Well, <clears throat> that 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 is a <clears throat> a very interesting. Um, subject because excuse me the dynamic that was uh, uh, that governed all basically all human uh, uh, governance uh, from the beginning of time up until the 18th century was basically the idea that the god or the gods some supernatural force had been uh, given to the, the the whoever was in charge, whoever was uh, the the whether it be the pharaohs or the kings or the Caesars, whoever it was, uh, was had that that special this, that special power that had been given by the gods, and it was through that person then that everyone else had to. Uh, had to reg- be registered as uh, whatever their worth was. The the worth of each individual was determined by these uh, princes and kings, and uh, and supposedly with the power of the uh, of the supernatural. And the thing that changed in the 18th century uh, in Europe was that the. Uh, power to govern comes from the from God to the people, and it's the people who uh, confer on the uh, leaders the uh, uh, the, the uh, whatever authority they have, and it's by mutual agreement and so on. And that was the beginning of democracy, of course, and and that was also the beginning of a lot of uh, redemption, if you will, or progress of uh, of the human race in terms of everything from uh, annual uh, sustenance and and uh, income 
to uh, to uh, the per, the uh, benefits of science. And we can take this up in a moment after we take a break. You're listening to the Resistance Hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Confessions of a Potentially Perfect Parent, brought to you by AdoptUsKids.org. I might look like an adult, like a person who could possibly be a parent, but I have no idea how to talk like one. And everyone knows that if you want to be a parent, you have to sound good when you say things like, Don't make me turn this car around, or because I said so, or don't make me come back there. I don't even really know what those things mean, but I know that I actually believed my parents when they said them to me. How did they manage to sound so convincing? Here we go. Don't make me come back there. No, that's not tough enough at all. Kids can sense weakness. Don't make me come back there. Ooh, yeah, that's better. In fact, that kind of sounded like my dad. Weird. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who would love to listen to you practice your dad voice. Call 1-888-200-4005 or visit AdoptUsKids.org for more information. This message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt Us Kids, and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Joy to the world. Okay, now back to the point you were making, uh, uh, Larry. Well, first, first, uh, first of all, I, I'm uh, waiting for uh, Oh Holy Night to come up. <laughs> well, I'm looking. For, yeah, well, that we're searching for that as we speak. So, I do have uh, Oh Come You Come Emmanuel, Away in a Manger. So well, we will look, keep. Uh, you might look under yeah. uh, under uh, Lawrence J. Peterwa. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, what what I think is really also a very important uh, factor here is that the revolution in uh, human governance that began to occur in the 18th century and has uh, found its greatest expression in the in the American civilization has been it could only have happened in a Christian in a Christian environment because only only Christianity has has made the uh, idea that uh, that you can every 
man is, is my neighbor, and and uh, you can see the Christ in every in every other person if you look hard enough. In other words, the worth yeah. of the individual is uh, transcends the uh, authority of uh, of uh, military or any kind of force, and it and it becomes the the uh, basic principle of law and that makes made the American experiment possible and in fact we have taken that idea and made a entire civilization out of it and now we have these uh, fanatics who are coming into uh, trying to come into our into our lives and tell us that um, religion is uh, irrelevant to uh, to uh, the government and that in fact uh, uh, religion is uh, a, a negative effect and it's uh, part of this uh, this racist this white domination if you will and in, and uh, they're very anti um, they're very anti not only religion but particularly anti-christian and anti and anti-Semitic uh, as well, and uh, that is a is a uh, one of the factors that we are now facing as a result of our uh, of our drift into this uh, American uh, Marxism that uh, that uh, is uh, has come to dominate our our uh, federal institutions. As well as yeah. our, let me, yeah. Uh, our. Yeah. Yeah. Let me throw this out. I mean, you make a point. But let me go back to a point. Okay. Go back to the original discussion we had. You know, undermining the Roman Empire with the, you know, give the things on to Caesar, the bond Caesar gives the things on to, um, you know, the you know, the Caesar and give all the things that God had belongs to God. If you somebody say in the ancient world, it was not uncommon. For a leader to be considered a deity, and so this entire premise of God undermines the very essence of this deity aspect, the worship aspect of the authority. And I think that that is the one aspect that comes because when we talk about you know it's not just the you know, for the people by the people, uh, as Lincoln would say, or that let's say this experiment in democracy and republican government, in which the people in the end. Are having to say, or as I would like to put it, to our present day politician, uh, is that you know, you know, policy, you know, that you guys on the government are the serpent of the people. You're not our rulers. That in order for this to succeed, as you stated, is that you have to accept the fact that there's a sphere that does not belong. To uh, the government. Uh, well, Jesus went and, and washed the feet of his disciples, you know, in the Last Supper. Yeah. And he said that this whole idea that uh, that the the leader is the servant of the uh, of the mass of the uh, of the led that that's a very Christian concept. But it took about 1,800 years before it really began to uh, be converted into uh, 
into actual governing uh, systems. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like this aspect that comes into play here that uh, you you make the point very well. You you make this point very, very well. And that is, and that, uh, and, uh, but it goes back to this premise. You You in order to break the very essence of, let's say, Government being the ruler, you have to set these spears. And this is where, let's say, Christianity has this advantage as a religion is that there's a spear that belongs to God. There's a spear that belongs to the people. And there's an understanding among even the leadership itself. They're under the authority of God. Uh, a good example is, you know, looking at, uh, uh, you know, King David. Uh you know, King David had to be reminded on occasion, you know, when he disobeyed. Uh, uh, you know, you uh, disobey that he would be punished. You know, remember when he sends the, you know, he takes, you know, he takes the wife of the assault of the general. For his own, and he sends the general to be killed. Israel suffered the consequences of a punishment, and so did David. And, and this again is a reminder: David had to be reminded on occasion. You're not above the law. You're not above me. Your thoughts? Well, it's <clears throat> extremely relevant to understand that the American experiment. As as a as a uh, governing system, as political system, as well, frankly, as an economic system, uh, that it it was founded on the principles of the of the uh, Judeo-Christian uh, relig- religious tradition, and that it and that if you start to abandon those principles, you're going to lose the uh, value of the experiment altogether and you're going to end up into some kind of a socialist uh, 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 dictatorship and that is what we're on the cusp of facing right now and if uh, and the anti-religious bias of the uh, secular city or the uh, as as, uh, as it's been called or or the uh, the far the far left the fanatic left, I guess I would say, um, that want to control everything. You know, the latest thing is they want to control your children too. They want, they don't want, uh, they don't want you to be able to uh, uh, instruct your children uh, in uh, as you uh, see fit as a parent. They want the government to take over the uh, all of the instruction of children as well as. Uh, as the uh, the uh, taxation of all the parents, so it, it there is no end to their thirst for power. But part of that requires, if that is to be successful, they have to downgrade and uh, persecute the Christian and the Judeo-Christian uh, believers who make up actually most of the country. And we just we have to understand 
that that's what we're up against. And if we don't do something about it, uh, we're going to find ourselves uh, ostracized and, and uh, eventually persecuted, as happened in Germany, as, have, as, happened in, as happening right now in uh, Red China. And uh, it has a history of happening throughout the uh, entire uh, uh, history of the of the human race, and we've just got to remember that that those principles of uh, love thy neighbor and uh, peaceful uh, peace is better than war, and that uh, uh, each human being has value. And that it's uh, no one person is better than another. All of the uh, the fundamental principles of a, of the Judeo-Christian tradition uh, uh, have to be preserved, or because they are the foundation on which the entire uh, experiment exists. And what we have is we have a blatant uh, assault against these uh, against these institutions uh, I mean you're when you're trying to uh, prosecute the little sisters of the poor for doing for doing charity as they see fit uh, because you uh, you uh, they don't uh, go along with your ideas of infanticide I mean that uh, that's 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 getting pretty close to barbarism and uh, we we simply have to realize that we're up against something that is a much uh, more sinister than uh, than a toddling old man to be uh, who's now the president. It's uh, it's a very sinister and evil uh, uh, thing that uh, that has has invaded our system and is uh, vying right now for uh, control. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it, again, it, it's you're you're absolutely correct. And again, it goes back to the entire premise of let's say Christ, you know, Christianity is that. And I think we need to keep repeating this over and over again. There are spears that belong to Caesar. There are spears belong to God, Ed. And when society ceases to respect the spear that belongs to God. They become like gods. They pre- pretend to be like gods, uh, which is exactly why you got an Adolf Hitler, why you got a Joseph Stalin, or the present regime in China. You know, and if we're not careful, we'll end up with it here. It doesn't, you know, if we forget these particular lessons. Part of the limitation of government, and in some ways, can be sent back to the idea that within our own society. There are spheres in which certain government agencies belong, and there are spheres in which they do not belong. And the battle over parents is a good example. Who raises the parents? Who raises the children? Parents. Yeah, what I found interesting about the Virginia election was you literally had governor essentially saying children belong to the state. We will determine how they're educated. We, the state, will determine that. Not you, the parents. That's a very dangerous idea that slipped into that Virginia election. The children well, belong just, to the just, state. Just look at the look at the um, the first Reich. You know that that was part of uh, Hitler's uh, 
whole uh, scheme too was to get the children uh, uh, to uh, to uh, be spies on their parents and uh, and uh, you try to you try to take the children away from the parents and, and in fact it worked in many cases it was also true in Stalin's Russia you know they they uh, that's one of the things that that they uh, look upon as very critical because it's the next generation. If you if, if you want to have a dictatorship that's going to last for a thousand years, you better start taking. You better start uh, with the children. You or at least you better have the children uh, indoctrinated and and uh, brainwashed to uh, accept your your ideas of of how they should act, instead of uh, those uh, of the parents who are. Uh, have uh, presumably a, a significant amount of diversity and and uh, and respect for tradition, and uh, so if we <coughs> we we are seeing uh, we're living through. The, I mean, this COVID thing, COVID, COVID thing is has been a real godsend for the for the uh, the people that are trying to dominate our our culture by. Uh, uh, very taking over our institutions and destroying our much of our tradition, and uh, we just have to fight this whole thing. And uh, I think the one of the lessons of Christmas is that we can have the hope that we can, in fact, uh, take on the, uh, the sinister uh, theory, the sinister uh, people of the. Uh, of the new left, and uh, that we can beat them, but we can't do it with yeah. a blindsided. Yeah, let me put it. We are now getting close to that end of times, and what I would like to do is, instead of our normal ending with the horn, uh, let's see if we can end with Silent Night.
Okay, Larry, I'm going to wish you a Merry Christmas uh, to you and uh, Teresa. And hey. <laughs> good night. Thank you. Merry good night. Same Tom. view, Tom. Merry Christmas. Okay. Stay safe. <clears throat> we'll be hearing from you uh, shortly uh, next week, I hope, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> right. We'll be talking next week. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Bye now. <laughs>